Welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Another Knock On Podcast. This is a post-ATA show and right slap dab in the middle of an Iowa ice storm. I'm supposed to be flying out to the SHOT Show here in a few minutes and I'm going to knock out a podcast quick and get everybody caught up with what's going on, answer some questions that we've got that I've been meaning to address and... uh Hopefully, we can get off the ground here. This ice is crazy, but uh, the ATA show was good. It was the first time I ever went and didn't get in uh, foul weather, but uh, saw some pretty cool stuff. Actually, I did a few little live streams um, or posted a couple videos from inside there. You know, for me, the ATA show, it's, it's a little bit different than when other people go. A lot of people are going there really excited to see what's new, all that good stuff. But uh, quite frankly, most of that stuff, they're products that I'm already familiar with. Um, there's a very few companies that I guess I don't get to see some of this stuff before it comes out or even get to try it a little bit. But there were a few things that I really, really liked. So I guess I might as well hit on those. There's a few things I didn't know about. I bought a couple different broadheads. There was quite a few little small broadhead companies out there that uh, had some interesting claims. So I'm actually going to, I bought some, I'm going to try some. And if any of them are worth me mentioning, then I'm going to tell you about those. But some of the cool things, for sure the new Nocturnals are really awesome. They've actually gone to a new mold. Um, So the actual knock itself has even a little bit better fit than previously and also um, they now offer a nocturnal that has a small bushing that allows you to use the same exact knock which the main knock is an x knock fitting but then it's got little um, bushings that allow you to push in the back of the arrow shaft so that you can um, utilize the same knock and in each pack they'll come with um, I believe it was a gold tip bushing then an S knock and an H um, knock bushing as well so one pack you literally have four different knocks that you can um, essentially or four different sizes that you could slide that knock into I really really like that also their new knock now has an alternating LED. It alternates between red and green back and forth. And I think it's 300 cycles a minute. It's unbelievable um, how this thing looks when it's flying through the air. It's it's pretty awesome. I want to be able to um, to show you guys those. They were still in the early stages. I've seen a few prototypes and I shot some of the earlier ones, but I haven't shot an actual production run. When I get those, I'll make sure that I let you see them. And uh, I think you guys are going to really, really like those. Also, one thing that stuck out that I really liked was um, Hoyt actually had a really good sight. The new Fuse site's really interesting. 
you should go and check it out. It's got a multi-pin or a single pin. It's got a pretty simple movement um, movement to it, which is really awesome. Um, Stealth Cam had a new 4K camera with 30 megapixel pictures. This is awesome. For any of you out there who are really getting into capturing video, especially if you're on bigger bucks, it's nice to be able to have super good footage of that buck and that 4k works dynamite if you're ever utilizing like a plot watcher setting or something like that where you'll be able to take some editing software and zoom in without losing that resolution so that's really cool and then um there was also some some little hme hunting made easy is a small company that's actually owned by gsm outdoors i did a video on this as well They've got a lot of little gadgety type things that are just, some of them are just super practical in the field um, items that I really like. And um, there was, I talked to them about a few things that I've been wanting to do kind of under the knock on umbrella, um, which they were really interested in some of those ideas. So that could be really cool moving forward. Um, let's see, other than that, if you're into crossbows, I did shoot a crossbow. Raven has a really cool crossbow. Um, they finally got it out on the market. These are um, some of my buddies came out with this. And I'm not a crossbow person, but if I was, this is a really cool crossbow. This thing fully flexed is almost the whole width of a laptop is all. It is unbelievably compact. Uh, super cool, but the name was Raven. And I shot it. Um, it was, it, I kind of had the same face as years ago when I shot my first parallel limb um, compound bow and there was just no hand shock. I was expecting a lot more because um, crossbows are still a little bit noisy, but it has a very unique system. It's got like a floating rail system, so the arrow's actually sitting on two rollers um, and it's got like a shoot through type uh, rail system, which is really cool. And you know, this has been a long time coming. I actually saw this three years ago is when we, when I first saw the the very first ones. Uh, but they just kept making changes, making some improvements, and finally it's out on the market. I almost was wondering if it was going to make it to the market because I've seen so many different generations of it, but it's pretty cool. Uh, if you're into crossbows, you might want to check that out. There was also, I don't even remember the name of the company, kind of looking around here. Uh, in my office to see if I had them in here, but there was a company that made a really cool uh, Windicator that was pretty much a vape and you could take this it came with a little refill that I think gave you like a thousand puffs and it would let out a pretty healthy um, Steam of smoke or what or vape or whatever you could also get it in scents they had like earth scent or whatever which um, or they just had just you know, pretty much straight vape, which would be good for, you know, checking wind. I kind of get tired of having um, windicators run out or something like that. So I kind of liked it. It was pretty cool. Um, it reminds me of my buddy up in Canada that I shoot with. Um, I call him Smokestack because he's got a vape. And when he hits this sucker, it looks like a diesel truck lighting it up at a at an intersection so you know who you are dude so does every other canadian listen to this uh, if you've ever been to this 
been to a shoot, if he ever takes a hit of that sucker, if you're within two targets of him, you're going to get in that cloud. So um, it was pretty cool. It was a good idea. I like that. There was also, um, I forget the name of this other thing. There was another company that had this cool little boot cleaner that's, that you could step into the ground. It was all metal. Worked really, really well. You could also put it on your bumper too, on your bumper hitch. So for cleaning your boots. This is super practical for me up in Alberta. You know, you get a little bit of rain during that early season and those roads and a lot of the fields just turn to just crazy clay and your feet get to be about 300 pounds. So, you know, little stuff like that was super practical. Also, um, just for those of you out there, um, you need to know, you know, I'm going to be continuing to broaden the spectrum on education through everything that we're doing with knock on i actually got to spend a lot of time with um the guys at some of the engineers um, or some of the engineering team at matthews as well as pse both um, to talk about some important things that i want to do on some upcoming live feeds just being able to share with you guys some important um, tuning techniques and different troubleshooting things for those bows Although I'm a Hoyt person, um, I know that there's a lot of you out there that are not. So I want to be able to bring that to you in the future. And again, this is my busy time of the year. So live feeds, podcasts, they get to be a little bit sporadic right now because I'm trying to do a lot of work and cover a lot of ground. But that's going to kind of balance itself out. Um, Some important things for you guys to write down and look forward to is um, I've actually got some pretty interesting things scheduled here moving forward. Um, One of those is I've actually got a guy coming in that's never shot a bow, and we're going to do a live stream on um, setting up, pretty much setting up himself and getting him totally ready to shoot. We're either going to do that on the 27th or 28th of this month, So we're going to literally take someone who's new to archery and go through the steps on setting them up properly, getting him shooting, and going through the steps that he needs to make a good shot. And also, um, on one of those same two days, I'm going to also have um, Jim Miller, who I'm sure if you're a faithful listener to the podcast, you listen to me. And Jim and his brother and our other good buddy, nicknamed Rainbow Bright, we had a pretty cool podcast from my hotel room until security shut us down. And there was, I don't think there was any adult beverages in the room either. So that was pretty much just legitimate us having fun having a good time and I'm really looking forward to those guys. The Miller brothers are awesome and I'm super jacked to have people like that reaching out, wanting to get involved with what we're doing. And Jim's got his first Hoyt ordered. So Jim's going to show up. We're going to build his first Hoyt, get them all dialed in, get them rocking and rolling. And then um, myself, Jim, and a few of my buddies are going to do a hog hunt, spot and stock hog hunting down in Oklahoma. We're going to do a little road trip, so you can expect several different live feeds. 
um, from some of those spot and stocks. We're also going to do a lot of coaching and that sort of thing. So uh, expect to definitely see some stuff rocking and rolling here towards uh, the last, well, not this coming weekend, but it would be the last weekend in January. Um, if you're listening to this in 2018, you missed it. So if you're listening to it anytime in the next two weeks from the original podcast date, then you'll be set. The other thing too is um, I've got a few things that I want to do. And again, that's going to be um, pretty much the 28th until February 2nd. I've got a lot of different things on the, we're going to do some, probably some live feeds with shooting, going to do some live feeds from hunting from camp. We'll do some live feeds, giving you some spot and stock tactics, pretty much whatever our signal on our phone will allow us to do. We're going to do that. Um, then hopefully following that by mid February, we're going to, I'm hoping be able to launch, um, kind of the first generation and new face of the knock on archery website. And this is going to be really important because we're going to start to utilize a lot of the former education that I have and articles. They're going to be networked so much better. Um, we're not too far off from being able to start putting together some knock on TV ep- um, season seven hunting episodes got a full year of hunting episodes pretty much filmed and ready to be edited i'm waiting for an an editor i'm actually looking i've been been um, interviewing guys as a full-time editor for us if you're out there and you're wanting to uh, jump on board with a really up and coming brand be part of something really cool then reach out to me on Instagram or through the Knock on TV Facebook page and send me a message because I am going to be hiring another editor full-time to help us get these live streams, live podcasts, and the hunting episodes um, looking sweet for TV. Um, So that's really what I got on the schedule that you guys need to plan for. Some really cool things coming up. Um, and also with the new website, uh, as well, you're going to, there's, we're really working towards, um, being able to connect you with myself as a coach. I'm shuffling a lot of things in my life right now to be able to gravitate more towards, um, really the future of knock on, which at this point, um, is looking like something really awesome on the horizon that's going to give you guys the ability to um, have a lot more uh, direct access to coaching and um, connection. So that's all stuff that's going to be coming in the future. It's not too far off, just letting you know, because mainly because I got like four questions sitting here in front of me saying, where do I go for a good coach or something like that? So um, we are going to jump into a few questions. The first thing I want to talk about, though, is today um, and each week I've tried to give you guys a little bit of homework, a little bit of something to think about, etc. Um, so this week, what I did today on the pretty much on all the different um, 
So on the Knock on TV Instagram, on our different Facebook pages, even on the Knock on Archer YouTube channel, I loaded a slow motion um, video of myself coming to full draw, anchoring, settling in on the release, adjusting my head position, and then I allowed you to look at a slow motion movement of the entire release hand as I cycle through a shot. So with that, there were several good questions that came through um, from several of you that I thought I could address here. And, you know, I really want to um, talk about a few of those. And if you're wondering what we're talking about on this podcast, just go back through and look for the slow motion video um, that I posted and today is the 16th of January, so it would be on that, that date. So one of the questions um, came from Howie H2 Miller. There's a couple underscores in there, but he's saying, is there an advantage to not using a kisser button? Um, I'm looking for some new setup tactics for this upcoming year. So I'm not a big fan of a kisser button, and the reason why is because You'll find that you have to apply different different types of uh, facial pressure depending on how deep you have to look through your peep sight. Um, if you're an archer that has a, a, a movable sight, you're essentially going to have your sight at the top of that rail at a shorter distance. And the longer you shoot, the further you move that sight down that rail. So it really changes a little bit how you how your anchor and how you're looking through that peep sight in order to properly center everything and also be able to look properly through it. So what you would find is if you're sighting in to where you're most comfortable with your kisser button, let's just say at 40 yards, 40 or 50 yards, and what you'll find is when you're shooting at 20 yards and your sight is higher on your scale and you're having to tip your head further into the string in order to look up through your peep sight and see your scope or center your scope at the top of that that vertical adjustment you're going to have a lot more pressure on that kisser button than if you were in the center of your rail or even if you're lower on the rail so with that what happens is when people get used to using that kisser button all the time they don't really pay attention that sometimes you're kisser pressure would be more than at other times and <laughs> what happens is they'll start to rely on the kisser button more than the peep sight and the peep sight is a huge part of accuracy um, there's a common problem called well we refer to it as falling out of your peep sight and what that means is when you draw back and you anchor and you properly center your peep so that you have a perfect eclipse with your scope housing and your your rear peep sight, what you'll find is if you slowly start to relax your head and you, and you really don't focus on that true eclipse, what will happen is your peep will start falling down on your scope to where it slowly starts to close off the top and you can see more and more of your level then you can see under your level and what happens is you really start to change your highs and lows which is actually a question that I know I saw that I need to address here so 
by utilizing that kisser button, you pay less attention to your true peep orientation and you start to rely more on the kisser button. Now, I think for for new archers starting out that maybe aren't totally sure about their anchor position, a peep isn't that bad of a thing to have. Or if you're shooting at a fixed position, like say you're going to always shoot at 50 meters or you're always going to shoot at 20 meters, whatever it is, um, or yards for any American using a standard conversion. But um, I really feel like the best thing to do is to focus on your anchor, to be able to focus on your the adjusting of your head so that you perfectly center your peep sight in your housing, and then be able to focus on the process of the shot and proper form. Now, if you have a kisser button, what happens is people get very dependent on just pulling the kisser button to the lip and they don't think so much about the anchor position or the head position. And when you're shooting in serious terrain where you have steep ups and steep downs, you'll find that you actually start to change your impact point because your anchor position shooting uphill and your anchor position shooting downhill, they can be different if you don't do it in a proper order. And by putting that kisser button in there, you, a lot of people just pull the kisser button to the lip. They don't realize that when they're shooting uphill, their anchor is actually under their jaw. They have a lot different uh, pressure on their face with the arrow. And then when they're shooting downhill, a lot of times they pull that kisser button to their lip. They, they actually have more hand pressure on their face. So there's a little bit of variation there. Um, a lot of people that have a kisser button once... I start to work with them on proper anchoring and then proper head position, you'll find that that lighter pressure is actually a better thing to have. And what I do is if someone's used to a big kisser button, I'll talk to them about these things I've just shared with you. Then I'll reduce that kisser button down to maybe a small eliminator button. Then after a week or two, I'll I'll just tie like a small little bump on there with some serving thread. And then after a month, that is completely gone. Um, I, I, I know I mentioned Rogan a lot, but I know a lot of you out there really relate to Joe. He's new to archery. He's learning a lot of things very fast. And he's come a dramatic distance in his shot development and his equipment development through several different steps. When... Joe first reached out to me, he had a kisser button and, you know, and he asked me about it. I told him that that was something we, something we'd work on. So I actually reduced that. And after his first bow build, I had it on there, but I had it smaller Then on the second bow build. Um, I had it smaller yet. Then on the third bow build or the third time I restrung and made some adjustments, I took it off completely and he never even said anything because he was so used to anchoring head position and string string fitting on the face. Uh, everything pretty much came together uh, really, really well. So um, hopefully I addressed your question. Uh, Howie underscore H2 underscore Miller. Appreciate it very much. So next question here is from Jewel Griggs. Um, she's been, she says, I've been listening to your podcast and watching the videos. Thanks for all you do. You're welcome, Jules. Um, what 
let's see. What you say makes better sense to me than anything ever has. I have more confidence in my shot my process. I have one question, though. How should the front shoulder feel at full draw? I know you've talked about not contracting the shoulder blade all the way back to the spine, but how low should the front shoulder be? Should there be any downward contraction or no contraction at all? I'm trying to pinpoint what the front shoulder and the shoulder blade should feel like. So when I did the live feed with um, Harry on the surprise shot, it was one of the first live feeds. And I'm pretty certain I actually posted a picture as well. Uh, I'm just going to take a look here. Pretty sure I posted a picture of Harry at full draw. And I was standing behind him, uh, kind of pointing at a specific area on his back. Yep. So this post that I'm referring to, I posted on November 27th on my Instagram page. So I'm pointing and really focusing more on the rhomboids at that position, but you get a very good look at the front shoulder as well. And because he's so lean, you can really see the difference in where the contractions on the back are. The easiest way for me to explain to you what the front shoulder should be like is really if you just take your left arm and it's dangling at your side, or if you're a left-handed archer, be your right arm, and you raise that bow up, you raise your arm straight up to where your fist is level with your shoulder, you'll notice that really you haven't done anything with your scapula. You haven't pushed it back. You haven't really done much to it. It's just a very natural movement. You just raise that arm up. From there, if I contract my lat just a little bit to where I feel a little bit of pressure underneath my armpit on that lat that's about all the pressure that I feel remember the key to being repetitive in archery is utilizing bone structure and not muscle mass you'll notice that there's way much more muscle contraction on the rear half of the body on this picture that I talked to you about versus the contraction that Harry has on his front half you'll see that there's a little bit of contraction really in that front lat. You can see that it's somewhat contracted because the rhomboid, there's one distinct line through the center of his back. Well, I shouldn't say the center. There's one distinct line that goes from my wrist down to the center of his spine. So everything pretty much behind my hand should be fairly relaxed everything below my wrist and to the left is where there's tension tension is going to it's going to end up equaling movement so there's a very very fine line there a lot of people starting out with the tension activator release they say that that they're having more movement in their sight picture which you will when you're starting out you want to start out having to pull harder because you want to really emphasize pulling through, pulling through. The better you perfect that, and after a month or two months of going through that routine, you're going to slowly start to be able to let the tension on that um, tension activator release, like the silverback, you're going to be able to reduce that some. You're going to start to understand your valley. You're going to start to understand your back wall. You know, all these are little elements that are baby steps towards the process. You know, I'm never going to be able to just give someone that and have them understand let off, valley, um, preload, 
all these different things that really formulate into a shot, it's baby steps. It's working on one thing. So my system of really letting you focus on the pull, the pull, the pull, it starts to eliminate things. And then what I do is I actually, as I reduce it, I start to give you smaller things to focus on in order to make sure that that repetitiveness starts to happen with less effort. But essentially, it's a program, and some of this stuff is very difficult for me to do over a podcast or do as a generalized um, thing simply because everybody is so different. Some people really have a very good, consistent um, pull and stop on the back wall. Some people don't. They really vary a lot. Some people don't understand the preload so they don't have hardly any tension there at all and then it takes them a lot more to start to build through so it's really an individual basis and moving forward again we're going to be able to address um, or you as a person are going to have the ability for me to be able to address these with you on an individual basis and you're also going to be able to have the option where uh, you would like me to help you publicly for the sake of the rest of the knockout nation. So that's uh, something I'm really looking forward to. And again, um, for all you out there, this is going to be a pretty spectacular um, platform, chain of events, and um, really the ability for a better one-on-one experience. And that's going to be because of my man, Justin Tab. So if you see him on Instagram or on wherever, you got to say, give him a little little good game slap on the hiney. He'll like that. Um, his wife might not like it, but he might like it. So let's see here. I'm going to go through again. I know there's another question on here. Um, let's see. Uh, we're going to go through. There was, um, hopefully I got that covered. Um Okay, so Zachary underscore Shazzy. Uh, I haven't even read this. I just see it's a question. Not to be an ass. I'm really just genuinely curious. A few pro archers talk about getting settled in and kind of jam the string on their face. I can see um, the upsides and the downsides. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are definitely that that's a downside. No question. Um, String pressure is one of the most um, problematic things for inconsistency with left and right arrows. Facial pressure has to be minimal. uh, And again, the reason why I don't prefer a kisser button is because people just start to jam that into their face. The difference between a pro that does that and the average guy is the pros are literally doing this almost as an income they're doing it as a profession and they are doing it with the amount of volume to where they can be repetitive even with improper form so for example jeff hopkins i personally would never teach anyone to shoot with an anchor position like jeff Um, there's several different reasons why but Jeff can do what he does because he shoots so much, he's done it so long, and he's able to be consistent even though 
to most coaches, the way that he inverts his hand beyond vertical and gets his knuckle in behind his jawbone, that would be a big red zone for a problematic area. Regardless of how many times I've tried to work with him on changing it, the reality is he's done that for 30 years. He's comfortable with it, and he's more repetitive that way. But if you're looking to get better and you struggle with lefts and rights, then facial pressure is the number one key to eliminating that. And then next in line would be your front hand position. Um, okay, so I'm going to jump into some questions that we took from the Knock on TV Facebook page. Um, and we're going to go from there. So I don't have a lot of time, folks. So I'm going to jump into a few of these and then I'll do uh, a few more here maybe once I get to an airport or land. So uh, Paul Wogelmuth? I don't know. Woggle? Wogel? Sorry, Paul. I butchered your name, buddy. Um, so anyway, Paul's saying, I have heard you talk about horizontal groupings as a result of improper spine. I'm currently trying to diagnose a vertical grouping issue. I'm continually grouping arrows with a plus or minus half inch um, right and left, but with a four inch up and down at 40 yards. Um, also, any advice on locating archery coach? I already addressed that. Just hold tight. We'll, the archery coach thing is going to work itself out. Um, but in regards to your ups and downs, that can be several things. Specifically, it can be exactly what I mentioned earlier, common problem, falling out of your peep sight. Um, I want you to really focus on spending more time just absolutely knowing that the top edge of your scope and the top edge of your peep are perfectly touching. If one disappears behind the other, or if one appears from behind the other, then you're not doing it correctly. I can guarantee you if you really spend time focusing on that, and this gets hard because it varies. If you have fore lighting or if you have, um, if you have rear lighting, that will change. If you have lighting directly behind you, directly on your peep, your peep's going to look way bigger than if you have a lot of lighting in front of you. If you have lighting in front of you, your peep looks smaller. But that and that's why sometimes when I draw back, you can see I actually squint down on my left eye a little bit because if the lighting isn't perfect, I squint my left eye enough to really confirm my peep and scope alignment. And then I'll slightly open my left eye back up so that my pupil dilation will expand again to where I can gather more light into my overall picture. Now, if you know you're doing that perfectly, then it's 100% going to be um, relating to either knock pinch. So if your knock pinch is too tight and it's squeezing down on the back of that arrow, or knock fit. Knock fit is big for highs and lows. If your knock is too tight on the string, it pulls the string forward and then it pops off and it's going to cause that arrow to dip. Another thing it could be on all bows, 
any bow that has a string stop. It's important that you set that string stop to a proper setting because if the string is hitting that stop too soon, what happens is when the string hits a stop, it drives the knocking point down and it'll change how your arrow is plunging through your rest. So what you want to do is you want to loosen the set screw that holds your string stop or on a Hoyt it's called a stealth shop. Every bow right now has one pretty much. So loosen that screw so that you can slide it, slide it away from your string, take your bow, tip it back so that just the weight of the stop comes down and touches on the string, slightly adjust it so your string is in the center and then tighten it back down. You don't want to pull it against the string and a lot of people that make adjustments to their poundages or if they change their strings or cables, if you add twists to synchronize your cams, anything like that, you can change how that comes out of the factory. And not to mention, uh, just because it comes out of the factory one way does not necessarily mean it's right. I've certainly had bows um, from multiple companies that show up here and it's like, wow, I can't believe that bow left there like that. So that's an important thing to check. It'll certainly help your highs and lows. And the last thing would be if you're a target shooter shooting a launcher blade or shooting a lizard tongue would be blade pressure. If it's too stiff or too weak, you're going to get highs and lows. So check on those things, Paul, and I'm certain... You'll get helped out, dude. Um, let's see here. Next question. Justin Wood says, uh, huge fan, dud. Also, um, a tournament shooter. I'm shooting a blade rest, but I've always had trouble shooting them because the fletchings hit my blade. I like to shoot a little bit of helical on my arrow. Is there a way to fix this without taking the helical off? So, yeah, the thing to do if you're a blade shooter, and that's a big part of why with the knock-on elevate rest, I include a freak show size launcher blade. So it is a very small lizard tongue. It's made specifically to be able to fit um, a super small diameter shaft and still be able to um, give you some clearance with the with the slight offset or helical. Uh, personally, I can tell you that you know, with these longer range arrows, um, putting too much on there uh, can give you a problem. But it's also the reason why I really feel like there was never a really good option for a fall away style system for target archers in the past. And that's what I really like about this Elevate is you're going to be able to put this on there. And you're going to be able to, to try it with the launcher for a little bit. And then, especially now, the Gen 2, um, some of the next generations of rests are coming. We're actually getting really close to having um, the fall-away whale tail available with the octagon setting. So you're going to have one block to be able to try up to four different blades on the same block without having to even remove the block. You can literally take... The whale tail off and convert it into a limb or a cable driven you can go right into a into a lizard tongue you can go to a wide blade or down to the freak blade um, also for those of you out there who ordered some of the first um, 
well, the first 500 ele- elevates that went out, um, they forgot to include this universal limb clamp that is pretty much like a limb sandwich for some of the bows that have a wider limb than what the small little aluminum bracket fits. So they sent those out to every one of you, um, part of that first order. So if you ordered one of the first Elevate rests, and then all of a sudden a week later or two weeks later, uh, you receive like this new bracket in the mail, it's not because any of the other brackets aren't good. It's because that bracket was not included in the original package. Um, I wish I had a dollar for everyone who wanted one of those uh, rests at the ATA show. Um, right now, I'm just selling them um, to the people that are pretty much following the knock-on party right now. And I can tell you we're we're continually getting in knock as well and silverbacks, and they are shipping. People are, if you sign up, put your email in that little notify me box at the knock on archery website you go to the release that you want or whatever and there's a little box that says notify me you put your web address in there and you click send or whatever and it's just tallying onto a list so every day when these when we're getting new product in we're automatically generating and sending out messages to you guys and you have 48 hours to pay for that release otherwise that release falls to the next person uh, that's back in line. But uh, hopefully, Justin, that helps you out, man. Appreciate it. Um, Let's see here. Uh, JJ Fraley is saying, um, John, how do I I determine if I need to play around with my stabilizers or draw length to better my float? I think I'm close, but I'm not sure where to go to get that last little bit of movement out so depending on how close you are you may not get it all out um you know there's very few archers out there that can just sit like a rock and continually activate a release properly um you tend to either be an aimer or a puller you know it's going to be one or the other um i'm personally i like to focus more on the pull than the aim Um, but I can tell you that fine tuning your draw length or your loop length, that's why I really like tied knocking points because I can try a quarter inch shorter loop. I can try a quarter inch longer loop. Um, those really start to, to change things. And then also when it comes to your stabilizers, you know, really focus on trying to put weight or remove weight on your bow, but if you're adding weight on there, if you notice that you start to have to hitch or you start to struggle to keep your bow up for an entire round, then essentially you're really not doing yourself good in the long run because if you add a bunch of weight to a bow, I can most certainly guarantee it is going to hold better. It's going to be a much more solid hold. It's going to aim better. Um, however, the problem with that is you'll start to adjust your form. And I've talked about this in the past. You'll start to have to compress that shoulder. You'll have to drive the front scapula back against the spine. You'll start to have to hit your hips and lean back. You'll see the string getting closer and closer to your chest. And all that is negative aspects to proper form. You don't want to have that. Um, I can tell you that Tiller tuning is a valuable resource. 
um, for fine tuning your draw length and also, um, and I, and I mean this by, so if you remove turns off your limb bolts, you will essentially lengthen your draw length. If you add turns into your tiller bolts or increase your poundage, you will shorten your draw length. Uh, because as you tighten the limbs into the bow, it'll comp- it'll shorten the overall draw length. If you let the limbs out, it lets it go back further. So that's if you do them both equally. Now, if you do them unequally, for example, if you let turns, like say you let one turn just out of your top limb, when you do that, it'll actually lower your knocking point. So essentially what happens is you are slightly lengthening just a little bit your draw length, but more importantly, you're lowering your pulling position of your knock. So what you'll find is if you lower that, your synchronization may be slightly off depending on the cam system that you're using, but what you'll find is you're changing your pulling position With archery, you essentially have a triangle. When you draw your bow back, you form a triangle. And by raising or lowering your knocking point on your overall setup, you change where that triangle on the back relates to your front hand holding the front. And sometimes the triangle likes to be level with the hand. Sometimes it likes to be above the hand. Sometimes it may even like to or prefer to be below the hand, even though you can't really do it without shooting through the hand. But that's why some bows, people find that they aim the best when the arrow is very close to the bottom of the riser. Whereas some bows, they actually tune better when they're above the riser. A lot goes into this geometry of cam, knock travel, um geometry of the limbs and also the geometry of the riser because some people prefer to have the handle in the dead center of the riser or the pivot point or pressure part of the of the riser in the dead center of that design some people like to have it below that position Um, for example like the matthews years uh, for the years i shot a conquest um, the front uh, position was notably lower than the center of the riser, which is why we got to tune our arrows a lot closer through the center of the burger buttonhole versus um, some of the Hoyt shooters actually would tune theirs very close to the to the bottom of the riser, and that's dating back 10 years ago now. So a lot's changed. Hoyt's changed the position up and down in their riser configurations. Uh, a couple times it was center went below center went back to center went below center um, and you know Matthews has done it several different ways as well um, not truly familiar with um, the Bowtech side so really um, I've got a jet I got 15 minutes to pack and roll out of here but hey I appreciate everybody I'll get to these other questions uh, make sure you check out that uh, video I posted today do a little bit of your homework and make sure you clear your your calendars for some impromptu live feeds uh, the last weekend of January. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.